0: Chapter 5 of Douglas Duane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Douglas Duane by Edgar Fawcett. CHAPTER 5 a coolness now ensued between Demott and myself, lasting for several weeks. Certain affairs, however, relating to real estate investments in which we were mutually interested, brought us periodically together, and at last I broke the ice with one stout blow. Our acquaintance, I told him, would be impossible on these distant and formal terms. We must either become fully reconciled, or... We must once and for all separate a kind of terror came into floyd DeMott's face as he listened to me i felt then how much he cherished my friendship he almost burst into tears a moment later and while seizing my hand in his own declared quite brokenly that he had been to blame and yet that his admonition and his prophecy ill-advised though both might have appeared had had the one excuse of warm and profound regard well i said pressing his hand with a smile i'm glad you don't think after all that i am the threatened victim of madness no that was only a dread which flashed upon me and at a moment's warning as it were there seems to be so ominous darksome and despotic a. no thoroughfare lifted above the misty borderline of infinity one might indeed fancy that any mere mortal who presumptuously crossed it would leave not so much hope as reason behind him oh was my laughing exclamation notwithstanding that demotte's words and his inflection of them had both touched me by their gravity and sombre candor i trust you won't accuse me of trying to overleap that borderline infinity is a very large word in fact it isn't in the dictionary of modern science at all she only has what herbert spencer would call a symbolic conception of it but the discovery of which you spoke you may be sure that if i am ever fortunate enough to make it infinity will be no nearer to me in the end than was the western horizon to columbus after he had put an ocean between himself and spain some day you shall tell me of your plan and of how you expect to compass it said demotte there was a faintly gleeful ring in his voice which he tried to repress our reconciliation gave him exquisite pleasure i knew perhaps i will tell you i said but i did not mean the words i secretly felt that while my truly vast idea was in embryo to describe would somehow be to desecrate it i cannot remember just when its magnitude and originality first took full possession of my mind if i mistake not there was no single primal throb of conception preceding its clearer self-portrayal and thought the entire process had i think been as gradual as the nourishment of a tree by rain still thus far i had accomplished little my experiments verifying faraday's molecular theory with regard to electricity may have quickened in me the germ of my own far different hypothesis and yet when i consider how faraday asserts that electricity has no existence whatever but that the phenomena which we declare to be electrical are the result of properties and motions born of the molecules of matter themselves i can hardly trace any analogy whatever between my peculiar conclusions and these broadly divergent premises still it was i think undoubtedly a close study of the polarized condition of molecules that first turned my attention toward forces of human vitality those subtle and amazing energies which exist either in the brain tissues or the muscular anatomy of man and so induce that primary and almost intuitive train of argument however this may be i had found myself absorbed in meditations on the one supremely attractive question of why and how from the invisible nerve centers of cerebral efficiency motor and sensory qualifications are forever springing schopenhauer's assertion of the will to live pushing itself up from the unknown into a million forms of organic and inorganic matter had strangely charmed without by any means convincing me for what after all is schopenhauer but a magnificent autocrat in philosophy and hotly as he hates the mysticism of all his german confrères except kant how dreamily german is the real foundation of his superb die welt als will und still that incomparable potency which we see manifested in the winking of an eyelid in the giving to man a poem like hamlet or in the generalship that won austerlitz might all be the same as regards kind I began more than deeply to ponder this element of invariable similitude pervading all human action, whether physical or mental. If it all rose from a single vital principle, I asked myself, why should this vital principle not be understood in time, at least as well as electricity is understood now? If, as some physicists would have us credit, all life is dependent upon a certain electromagnetic force in nature why might not the cogency which causes me to walk across my laboratory from a leyden jar in one corner of it to a torsion electrometer in another corner of it be akin with that which sends a translatable message across three thousand leagues of sea is electricity i again asked myself really light heat? In all-known power then why is it not intelligence human intelligence as well brought into contact with those cells of the brain which are otherwise effete as a stone or a log it is impossible for me here to elucidate the scientific origin of my early investigations this demands not merely an intimate knowledge of the higher mathematics such as i myself possessed But it also requires an acquaintance with the technical processes and nomenclature employed by trained adepts in other kindred studies still it is my intention to write out as a faithful appendix of these memoirs every detail of the calculations and deductions by which i arrived at my present unmatched place among the loftiest thinkers of this or any period such a statement may sound like vanity but how far from the least semblance of vanity actually it is posterity shall both learn and admit i do not advance this belief i declare it meanwhile i persevered with my experiments and demotte at the same time frankly deported himself as once more my devoted friend i would occasionally accompany him in his pilgrimages to the bookshops though I satirized his mania with a persistence of ridicule, which he always bore good-naturedly. One day he said to me, "'If you cared for good books, Douglas, I would ask you to go with me where we could see them in really splendid profusion.' "'Good books!' I cried. Oh, how amusingly you collectors abuse terms! Good books are books good enough to read for ideas they contain.' not for the archaic suggestions of their print and bindings. But where is this treasure house to which you refer, Floyd? It is a private dwelling in Clinton Place. Its proprietor is named Adam Hadley. That name is somehow familiar, I said. No doubt, Hadley has compiled a most exhaustive biographical cyclopedia of prominent Americans from the early colonial times until now. A day or two later, Demott and I crossed the threshold of Adam Hadley's residence. Clinton Place was once the placid domain of knickerbocker respectability, but now signboards of a hundred varying sorts obtruded their commercial gilt over doorways and windows. The Hadley house, with its antiquated arch of entrance and the pervasive suggestion of having its bricks joined together by mortar at least fifty years old, had once risen among many prim companions, of marked resemblance each to each. But the quarter was fatally near Broadway. Trade had unmercifully pushed westward toward University Place, invading chambers that for many years had been almost sanctified by the sweetest domestic privacies. Adam Hadley's house now stood quite deserted by its former highly reputable associates on one side of it sprawled the immense advertisement of a franco-american cafe which had a basement where lager beer and absinthe were equally distributed to customers and an upper story where a table d'hote dinner at sixty cents with wine included offered bewildering attractions on the other side flared a balcony whose colossal gold letters assured even the most languid passer that robe y mantle were here procurable just across the street gleamed the windows of a restaurant in which you saw uncooked beef steaks and sanguinary mutton chops made spectacular with bunches of crisp leaved and marble stalked celery not to speak of scarlet lobsters brilliantly effete on plinths of dripping ice clinton place had unquestionably become mercantile but Adam Hadley's house remained just as drowsy and dignified as when quiescence and not turmoil was the keynote of its neighborhood I had no sooner gone into the front drawing-room with demotte than I began to understand how justly he had described the whole exceptional interior here was the old-fashioned American parlor and yet all the coins of vantage which our grandfathers and grandmothers loved to fill with wax flowers in glass cases, or possibly with a stuffed bird or two from tropic climes, were unrelentingly invaded by books. Books confronted you everywhere. The walls were lined with them, halfway toward the ceilings, in row after row. A large central table was piled with folios, on the floor, close against the lower shelves of the bookcases rose piles of large volumes which no private library could well find accommodation for and presently mr hadley himself appeared welcoming demotte with an outstretched hand that made me think of nothing so much as of a wrinkled leather book binding his face was somehow the shape of a book i have never seen so square a face nor one so preternaturally solemn he had a little bent figure and the dull eyes under his tired drooped lids bore a sluggish inky blackness that recalled a large blurred o in imperfect print he somehow seemed a part of his books his clothes were dusty and his shirt cuffs revealed the slight raggedness at their edges which easily reminded one of a book's uncut leaf he talked with the of books only books for nearly twenty minutes as i may conscientiously assert before giving me more than a faint recognition of the acquaintance which our friend had duly established between us he had a little dry laugh like the crackle of a stiff book page when you turn it quickly and he used this laugh a good many times while he told my friend of an extraordinary a wonderful bargain which had lately befallen him in john street or ann street or some downtown quarter like that i am quite ignorant of the whole singular and unexplainable cult but unless i mistake mr hadley was boasting that he had procured a horace or an ovid in petit format or something of this nature with the elzevir date of 1629 De Mott shook his head a good many times, declaring the lucky windfall a clear impossibility. I was greatly bored, and began taking some of the beautifully bound volumes from their resting places and examining them. Presently, Mr. Hadley asked me if I cared for books, but in so wandering away that I felt the question to have been somehow stimulated by a whispered suggestion on the part of De Mott. I was about to answer the little desiccated individual when he suddenly put one yellow hand on my friend's shoulder and pointed to the next room. In the next room, where rows of books presented themselves just as amply as before, and piles of folios were still more frequent, the priceless little duodecimo about which this tedious wrangle had been waged was finally produced and shown. DeMott eyed it at certainly twenty different angles of vision, and after twice confidently stating it to be spurious, at last declared it genuine. A new way of regarding it, however, appeared to rouse his doubt once more, and then, losing patience, I rather explosively said, "'For heaven's sake, Floyd, do show me a little pity.' You know I can't sympathize with the mysteries of your bibliomania. Do ask Mr. Hadley to let us have a glimpse of some rare engravings. I shan't feel quite so barbaric, then. I've an eye for that sort of thing, as you know." My appeal was listened to, and soon afterward we were brought in contact with so many tomes of quaint, skillful, or beautiful pictures that even a cursory inspection of them would have lasted well beyond nightfall. It was not long before I observed that Demotte was letting his glance roam restlessly and perhaps expectantly in the direction of the doors. He anticipated another picture far finer than any which these book covers could reveal, and it presently appeared in one of the doorways. I had heard Demotte say that old Adam Hadley lived here in Clinton Place with a daughter who was his only child and also that Millicent Hadley was pretty. But I had no suspicion of what a charming face and figure this lifeless little reference failed to describe. Millicent's blue eyes gave the effect of always swimming in a delicious silvery light, and her lovely silky hair, growing profusely on her small head, that had the swift grace of a bird's in moving, was tawny as a rusted leaf." or possibly there would be truth no less than comedy in contrasting the tinge with her father's leathern little hands it amazed you to think of this ethereal and blooming young creature as having sprung from parentage whose personality was so entirely unlike her own you wondered if the dead mother of millicent had not transmitted to her all this feminine felicity of personnel all these pure fresh graces of lineament millicent hadley's gowns were surely made by no fashionable milliner and yet her slender flexible maidenly shape wore them with a sweet ease quite her own she seemed to love her father dearly but the more i watched her the more i felt certain as to her possessing a nature of such inherent womanly ardours that to love someone clingingly and satisfyingly was her spiritual necessity she was by no means of a spiritual turn in her conversation she spoke freely openly and with that happy abandonment which so many american girls employ to the grieved astonishment of english or french conventionalism her father incessantly observed her with an indulgent Fondness, which there was no mistaking as soon as she appeared he gave evidence of the most pronounced paternal pride in her it was an exquisite enjoyment to me as I studied the complete surrender which Adam Hadley indicated the moment she assumed her amiable and easily born office of hostship she made me think of a wood anemone blossoming in the dark cloisters of an almost sunless forest and yet her tender individual traits of modesty were combined with a playful assertiveness that robbed them of anything like awkward constraint a little later she went with us through not a few other rooms of the house also crowded by volumes that i began to look on this as a phenomenal sort of library containing everything printed since printing began its enlightenments for the race Millicent's talk was, meanwhile, buoyant and engaging. She treated her father's passion for collecting books as if it were a foible no less innocuous than droll. "'I often wonder how I've managed to keep my health in this damp, sleepy old house,' she exclaimed, so packed with the records of dead writers. But fortunately Papa sent me to boarding-school in Poughkeepsie for about three years. That saved me, I suppose, from becoming a victim of brooding melancholy." "'You don't look at all melancholy,' I said. "'Is it only due to the boarding-school that you don't?' "'I'm afraid it is,' stuck in Hadley with humorous despair. "'She calls this house a graveyard. Just think of that.' "'Well,' laughed DeMotte, "'it's a graveyard with some very interesting headstones. You get tired after a while of reading the headstones cried millicent airily but one can always pull them up so to speak i said and find out what lies beneath and what does lie beneath the girl exclaimed looking full at me with her curiously winsome eyes nothing but dead people after all we were passing just then through one of the upper halls she led the way moving along with her brisk elastic step and i chanced to be just behind her Lowering my voice a little, and almost without knowing wherefore, I said, "'Do you prefer live people?' She turned her face toward me, so that I caught with a new effect of shade or color the roast-leaf lines of her cheek and temple. "'Yes,' she answered, "'I prefer them with all my heart.' "'And do you meet and know many of them?' I pursued. "'Oh, so few,' was her swift answer.' I live a great deal alone. There's Papa, of course, and then there are one or two servants. And there are no friends, no acquaintances even? Hardly any. I never went to school, you know, in the way that most New York girls go. Papa taught me at first, and then there was boarding school, and after that came the home life again, with all my old girlfriends scattered about in various places away from New York. AND YOU HAVE NO FRIENDS OF ANOTHER KIND, I ASKED, WITH A PERSISTENCE THAT STRUCK ME AS ill advised AND A TRIFLE AGGRESSIVE, NOTWITHSTANDING THAT I MADE USE OF IT. SHE UNDERSTOOD ME WITH A LITTLE TENDER, HURRYING, PINK BLUSH. OH, NO, EXCEPT ONE. MR. DEMONT? YES. AND HE IMPRESSES YOU FAVORABLY? SHE MADE NO ANSWER just at this moment we had reached a doorway of a room where new rows and piles of books were visible during the rest of our visit millicent bestowed on me i fancied less geniality than previously i hated to feel that i had perhaps offended her by too overt a familiarity this thought amounting to a dread for which i could by no means account remained with me for several hours after i had quitted her society As its annoying force wore away, I began to tell myself that to meet her again might result in something very like a declaration of passion. I had never seen and talked with any woman thus far in my life whom I so thoroughly longed to see and talk with again. Her face stole between me and my studies during the next week. I had a strong disinclination to inform Demotte of the rapid enchantment she had exerted. At the same time he exhibited what I secretly pronounced a strange reticence concerning her. Had Millicent already so won his love, that my own admiration of her displeased him? No, I soon concluded, for if this were true he would betray chagrin, or at least some sort of lurking resentment, but neither manifestation remotely touched his demeanour, and after a fortnight or so he himself proposed that we should pay another visit at the house in clinton place i went with him more gladly than i chose to evince her reception of us both was gracious in the extreme but i noticed signs of intimacy in her manner toward demotte which implied that their acquaintanceship had probably gone on ripening since i had last seen them together her father was not present that day indisposition prevented him from leaving his own room The doctor had assured Millicent that he did not think it at all a serious illness, and yet, while she repeated to us this cheerful medical judgment, there was a cloudy light in her eyes that needed no explanation, and presently she confessed to us with a candour full of pathos that she had tried for weeks to keep from her mind the saddening certainty of her father's broken health it is so dreadful you know she said for me to think that i should be quite alone if anything should happen to him it doesn't merely make me love him the more it mixes a continual fear with my love if if and now for some reason her look wandered to my own and dwelt there a few seconds if you can understand how such a strange state of feeling can exist I understand very well, was my swift answer. If the had not been there that day, I believe I might have shown the pity I felt by means of a decidedly passionate method. It was of no use to warn myself that I had seen this girl but once before. I had seen her a hundred times since first looking upon her. She seemed already to have filmed all the sombre surface of my life with light, though we were still unquestionably strangers. After that day I made no concealment of my admiration from Demotte, but I did not tell him I loved Millicent Hadley. Shame kept me from this admission. With men of my frigid intellectual calibre, the self-surrender to love's divine folly will sometimes give the sense of being arraigned by all the august faculties of reason, while common sense, like a fussy little recording clerk seated beside his superiors adds to the general grim effect of accusation but if i had really divulged my love to demotte all that afterward happened would have forever remained as a sealed book he himself as i soon found out loved millicent profoundly with a nature of such jealousy as his own once to be sure that we were rivals would have meant lifelong estrangement but it never seemed to enter floyd demotte's head that we were or ever could be rivals i failed at first to make out the cause of this dogged misinterpretation occasionally i grew desperate under it and would let my praises of millicent become as florid as a suitors but demotte never appeared to suspect in the faintest way that their warmth was of the romantic flame i visited the clinton place dwelling several times unaccompanied by him and not consulting him as to the question of going with me he learned of these visits from millicent herself and treated them with a matter-of-course lightness the more i brooded over his indifference to my attentions and at the same time realized how deep a sentiment he himself cherished for this charming girl the more miserably unable i became to reconcile the first with the last i was not by any means as personally well favored as my friend mine was indeed the expression of a brooding spirit and one beset by some species of relentless unrest still there was nothing repellent in my exterior i neither looked like a woman-hater nor a cynic and with no dream of boast i can state that a fair-minded observer could not have failed to discern in my visage that mental virility which it would be idly flippant for me to disclaim from the worldly point of view moreover i was even more marriageable than floyd de Mot, since my wealth counted considerably above his after a long reflection i concluded that my friend's absolute faith in millicent's attachment for him had formed the reason of his baffling behavior and yet in this estimate i was destined soon to encounter my own error during our further interviews together millicent had given me proof that seemed slowly to gather strength regarding her high valuation of demotte's genial gallantries he was the one subject which above all others she liked to discuss when i called upon her adam hadley's illness had not yet abated and repeatedly his daughter received me alone in one of the lower rooms of his queer book crammed abode she loves Mott. i at length began to decide within my own darkening meditations and as i drew this deduction from her words her bearing the livelier gleam of her enkindled eyes and a score of tokens by which she would show plainly her concern in him who had first made us acquainted it must be affirmed that a great suffering pierced me with its first pangs i had no feeling of ordinary jealousy i have never in all that afterward happened known torture of this peculiarly poignant kind my sensations were then and long continued to be those of a penetrant and most desolating regret my mind was too inflexibly logical to cast the least random and inconsistent blame upon either himself or her In the whole unhappy affair i saw nothing except one of those perverse and cruel freaks for which destiny is alone accountable here was but a single episode of torment among the millions of others by which humanity has through ages been persecuted it represented only one of the sorrowful mysteries for which earthly philosophy has no conceivable solvent which have flung uncounted souls upon religion as a refuge and consolation and which have left a comparative few shall i say that mine was among this far slighter number who have risen up defiant challenging and fiercely unappeased by all pious faith even though such antagonism meant wildly vain warfare still in these early days of gathering misery I was not completely hopeless. After all, I might be mistaken. Millicent might not be irretrievably in love with Demotte, and he, on his side, might not yet have fully persuaded himself that she would marry him on the asking. Why, then, should I altogether despair of my own chances? Demotte's tardiness in perceiving the state of my heart toward the woman whom it seemed to me that he undoubtedly loved, might turn out of untold advantage in the future struggle between us for i had got to expect a struggle as imminent and i meant to push my part of it in all fairness but with all vigour and thus i took hope i suddenly found myself quite at fault however in any such prophecies there was to be no struggle the full measure of my agony and defeat was to be dealt me by one abrupt circumstantial coup de mat, demotte appeared in my laboratory in a certain afternoon just as i had determined to leave off the engrossing studies and exact experiments which had occupied me since an early hour in the morning i was jaded and fatigued but i knew of a way to refresh and fortify myself it was a stimulant worth every elixir my chemical knowledge could point out to me twenty times over it was to jump in a cab and have myself driven down to clinton place where the music of a voice and the magic of a smile precious beyond all other known pleasures were perhaps waiting my choice of summons the entrance of demotte into the laboratory whither he always came unannounced gave me a sharp thrill of irritation i had sunk listlessly into an armchair only a few minutes before rising now I strove to conceal the annoyance he had roused. For an instant, I felt that I almost hated him. He had come at so wretchedly mal a time. End of section five.